Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and grab them and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. And verse 8 starts with some very shocking words. In fact, they're probably the most shocking words of all of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it begins with, above all. You're like, really, Peter? Above all? Above all of what you've just said in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3? Yeah. You mean above all what you've talked about when you're involved in a suffering because of messy relationships? Yeah, above all. You, you mean, Peter, above all when you're being treated unjustly uh, by a government? Yeah, above all. You know, I, I feel like he's saying, of all the truths that I've been teaching you from this book, if you forget everything that I've taught you, remember this, above all. Verse 8, it says, above all, here we go. Love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sin. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know what Peter's saying there? That when you find yourself struggling, when you're suffering, he says, get your eyes off yourself and get it on others. When you're looking for a safe harbor, he's actually saying, no, you go ahead and be the safe harbor. Uh, Peter's reminded us, these are the priorities of the Christian life when you find yourself suffering. When you find yourself hurting. When you find yourself fear beginning to creep in. He's saying, choose to love each other deeply Show your hospitality uh, to each other joyfully and use your gifts to serve others selflessly. Uh, Peter's saying, while you're suffering, above all, this is the priority of your life. And that term, one another, by the way, doesn't mean those who are out in the, the highways and byways. It doesn't mean your neighbor. It doesn't even mean your family. That one another is the body of believers, fellow believers, fellow Christians. You're to love one another. In a sense, your local church, your, your small group, this is how you are to treat each other. And sometimes when we're suffering, sometimes when we're hurt, sometimes when we allow fear to creep in, you know what happens? We fall to temptation. And some people think, oh, maybe sexual temptation? No, even though it's a powerful temptation. But the temptation that we're, we're tempted to fall to is relational temptation. That temptation to lash out to be unforgiving, to get bitter, to be resentful. And you may say, but I've been hurt by some people. Why would I love one another? Well, I think Jesus makes it really clear. Because in John chapter 13, verse 35, you know what he says? Everybody, everybody will know that you're a follower of me by all the knowledge that you have of the Bible. Everybody's going to know you're a follower of me because of how much money you give to the church. No. Jesus says, you want people to know that you're a follower of Jesus? You want people to know that there's been a genuine change in your life? Jesus says, people will know by the way that you love one another. 
And then he says, of course, the whole idea of hospitality. I think sometimes today we've gotten the word hospitality mixed up with party planner. You know, we throw a big party, we invite people, and it all kind of revolves around the person who threw the party. But very different in this 21st century what hospitality looked like. There were hotels and motels where people would be traveling along the road. But in this particular culture, you would invite strangers in, people you didn't even know. This idea of hospitality and to show it joyfully, and of course to serve others selflessly. Now, I wish, I just wish we had the time to fully unpack that, because I think we could spend a whole day just unpacking those truths. But really what I wanted to do was set, put some emphasis on verse 12 and the next following verses, because Peter's going to give his final words when it comes to suffering. I think we have to admit, for all of us believers, for all of us who are Christians living in our Western culture, we've had it pretty easy when it comes to following Jesus. I mean, sure, we may get challenged about what we believe, and sure, we may get mocked and maybe made fun of because of what we believe, and sometimes maybe issues will flare up in a conversation with family or friends, but overall, we, we would have a hard time to really talk about what it is to suffer because I'm a follower of Jesus. And yet, did you know there is more Christian persecution happening today than in any other time in all of human history. He's talking to Christians. He's writing this letter. Those who are suffering, who are the target of persecution. Did you know that every month, 300, on average, 309 Christians are put in prison unjustly? I just read yesterday... <laughs> 75% of all Christians in Syria have fled the country since the Civil War broke out in 2011. 75% have fled the country. I just read yesterday, 87% of Christians in Iraq have fled the country since the Gulf War. The top countries that is hardest to follow Jesus, number one, North Korea. Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Yemen, Iran, India, where it's definitely hard to be a follower of Jesus. You know, very rarely does the persecution of Christians make national news, but occasionally it will. I recently uh, was reminded of a story that made national news, and you may remember the story too, when an upscale Westgate shopping mall was attacked in Nairobi, uh, Kenya. It's, it was started, these terrorists came in, and they, were start, they came to punish the government. But what happened, they switched, and they began targeting Christians. The Associated Press uh, reported it this way. As the attack began shortly afternoon on Saturday, the Al-Qaeda-linked gunman asked the victims they had cornered if they were Muslim. Those who said, answered yes were free to go, several witnesses said. But the non-Muslims were not. I guess the question would be, if you had been there, if I had been there on that day, in that mall, and I was asked that question, what would we say? Knowing that freedom <laughs> was that way. All I had to say is yes. And I could be free and go back to my family. Or say no and stay and not know what the consequences were. In fact, I think I have a, a few a sh a video uh, pictures of that event on that day. 
This is that mall. You can just run right through those. On that particular morning, families just going, have a day of shopping. We know what that's like. But then tragedy struck. Three times, the apostle Peter, if you remember his story from his earlier life, three times he denied Jesus. Remember that? Within a 24-hour uh, period, even after he had just said to Jesus, I'll never deny you, three times vehemently he says, I don't know the man. I never saw the man. What are you talking about? I never followed him. Three times he denied him. Peter knows exactly what it would be like, the temptation, when fear begins to creep in to deny Jesus. And when you continue to read through this passage, and his final words on suffering, Peter said, don't deny Jesus. And I actually think, that when you make that decision to identify with Jesus, God gives you the grace to say those words. That same day, uh, in Nairobi, Kenya, the Guardian from the United Kingdom reported it this way. After interviewing a gentleman, covering the Christian name on his ID with his thumb, he approached one of the attackers and showed them the plastic card and they told him he could go. So he had his ID, covered his Christian name. They saw his name. You're free to go. And then another eyewitness said, an Indian man came forward. And they said, what is the name of Muhammad's mother? When he couldn't answer, they just shot him. The level of violence actually against Christians and their businesses and property is an unprecedented, actually, in modern ho uh, history both in its scope and the number of churches and structures that are attacked. And that's according to the United States Commission on International Re uh, Religious Freedoms. If I have a couple more pictures, I just want to kind of scan through them really uh, quickly. Oh, well, this is a famous picture. Remember these Coptic Christians who wouldn't deny Christ, and they were all uh, beheaded. Churches that are uh, continually burnt and set on fire. And yet Christians regather, put their life on the line, and, and pray. This is a church in India, actually, where they set it on fire and killed the pastor and his wife. This is a girl who wouldn't turn, um, reject her faith in Jesus, so they scarred her face. This is a church, I think it's in Africa, and I forget the country right now, but they decided to close the largest Protestant church in the country uh, called Full Gospel uh, Church. They closed that one and the second largest in the entire country for what they were preaching. It's unprecedented. In fact, as I was reading a report in North Korea, um, in November, North Korea had <clears throat> publicly executed 80 uh, people across seven cities. And so what they did is they would gather a crowd of people. They had 10 at a time. They would put white hoods over them, tie them to the stake, and then machine gun them down. Do you know why? Do you know why they were shot? One was for watching an illegal video out of South Korea, the second for possessing a Bible. This is what's happening in our day and age. And Peter tells us right here, don't be surprised by that. Don't look around and be shocked when you're persecuted for your faith. 80% of all attacks on religious <clears throat> Of religious discrimination in the world are targeted against Christians. That's according to the International Society of Human Rights. This is what is happening actually right now in our world. 
Sometimes when we think of persecution, we think, oh, what it was like in the Bible times. You know when Paul and Peter, maybe they're thrown in prison, and some were stoned, and some were martyred. We think, you know, when Christians were thrown into the lion's den. Or like here, we, we know Nero is the, um, is the seizure of the day, and, and we talked about how he would, you know, set Christians on fire to light up his garden parties. We think that's when the persecution really, really was rough. But I'm telling you right now, according to all the data statistics, there's more persecution happening right now in this modern day history than in any other time of history. And Peter is telling us, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when this happens. Now, I don't want to pretend I don't want to pretend that we know what it's like to suffer because we're a follower of Jesus. But on the other extreme, I don't want us to think that we don't know what it means to suffer because we do. And I honestly believe that we're getting closer and closer that as Christians in a secular uh, country, even like Canada, there is going to be significant impact on us. To stand up for Jesus. All you have to do is look at B, uh, Bill C6, B, uh, Bill C7, Bill uh, C10. You can see the ramifications in the future of what that could be like to be identified uh, with Jesus. And so Peter says here, dear friends, I mean, these are people he's loved. Like he wants the best for them. But they're facing trials. They're facing difficulties. And, and, it's, and it's testing their faith. And Peter is telling them, they're actually, actually, you can still have hope in hard times. He's going to give them the hard truth. Here's the hard truth. That trials like these are inevitable as a follower of Jesus. He says, don't look at it as something strange that is happening. Don't be surprised. You know, some, I think some believers think the Christian life it's all about the easy and the smooth life. But Jesus, remember, responded when he told the story that some are going to respond to the gospel with joy, but when trials come because their roots are not deep, they're just going to wilt away because they were expecting something completely different. They had this idea that trusting God meant you know, a rich and successful life, uh, free of pain. And Peter warns us, he warns those believers, he warns us against that kind of an attitude. In fact, he says, don't, be, don't just be surprised by it. He says, expect it. It's actually a normal part of the Christian life. And I realize that there's a different season in all of our lives where you know, maybe persecution seems more severe than others. But Peter says to us, but they're always going to be there. It is a normal part of life. So how can it help us as believers to expect that trials will come? How is that going to help us? He says the fire ordeal is for your testing. We know fire purifies things. That's what, the, that's what trials do. They purify the church Throughout uh, history, persecution has often been the very thing that really caused the church to explode. You look at Acts, the book of Acts, where persecution is rampant. What happens? The church is growing like wildfire. Trials will test 
the church as a community and it also tests believers as individuals. Well, how do they test us, you say? They'll test our commitment to Christ. These trials also will test our faith. They'll begin to test us. Do we really believe in the promises of God when these kind of trials come? Do we really believe that God has his best at heart for us? That's the kind of questions we'll begin to wrestle with when trials come our way. We'll begin to wrestle with, is God really in control of everything that is happening? And are we willing to follow him no matter what the cost? These are some of the questions that we're going to be forced to, to answer when these kind of trials come our way. I believe a genuine follower, fully engaged, a genuinely fully uh, devoted follower of Jesus will say, yes, I do believe God is in control. And yes, I do believe God has his best in for me. And yes, I do believe in God's promises. When a Christian goes through trials and they pass the test, their commitment and faith in God will be reaffirmed through action. The trial will help him to make his faith more personal, more concrete than just theory. Too many, too many people, Christianity has just become a mind game. It doesn't transform their life. That's why when you go through trials and you go back to those couple of verses earlier, when it says, above all, <laughs> when those hard times come, love one another deeply. And show hospitality joyfully. And serve others selflessly. And so Peter, our time is just, just running rampant. But Peter, if you continue to read down through, in fact, let me just read it through because there's so much there for us. I'll begin it with verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when the glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed but praise God that you bear that name. For it, is, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinners? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And Peter's saying, how do these trials, uh, you know, what do they do when we're in the middle of suffering? Peter says, first of all, don't be surprised. Just don't be surprised when that happens. And then in verse 16, says, and, and, and don't be ashamed for being a Christian. You bear the family name, the name of Jesus. Don't be ashamed. In Acts chapter 5, as we're uh, take time to, to look at that. That's where Peter and some of the apostles, you know, they're proclaiming Christ. You know what they did? They took them and they flogged them 
put him in prison and told him, stop preaching that stuff about Jesus. Flogging um, leaves permanent scars on your body. Sometimes it leaves you lame. And they suffered the flogging and imprisonment. And then as soon as they released, they went out proclaiming, counted it, they were, it says they praised the Lord and rejoiced that they were even counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. What do you do when you're suffering? Peter says right there, verse 13 and 14, which is almost hard to imagine. He says, rejoice. Rejoice that you'd be counted worthy. And then, of course, in 1718, he says, and remember what the future is. There is a day coming when all will be reckoned with by God who rules justly. So don't be surprised. Don't be ashamed. You're part of the family. Rejoice and remember what our future is. And in verse 19, Peter gives his final words on suffering. Trust God and do right. Trust God and do what is right. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.